Coming up next on the Varsity Journal Podcast. You know, I wouldn't have been fine, but I mean, I wouldn't have been heartbroken at least. That the entire world wouldn't be tuned into this rematch just because of that riot that went down? You would be absolutely fucking insane to think that. Joining me on the show today is MMA writer Spencer Kite from Fansided, and he is also a writer for Sporting News. I need a break from it. I think the sport needs a break from it. I think the UFC should take a break from it. I am thankful that the Leafs were favored to win the Stanley Cup this year. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Varsity Journal Podcast. This is episode number eight. Today's date is Wednesday, October 10th. And, um, yeah, we are still very fresh into this incredible sports month. And, um, you know, while the the NHL season was getting underway and... You know, MLB playoffs while well, they're they're in full swing. I have been working like a madman, and things at work are finally starting to calm down. So I've actually been spending the last couple of days in front of the TV and in front of the computer catching up. Uh, you know, y- you guys know how I mentioned on the last podcast that I was stoked about um, the Braves getting into the postseason, and you know. To zero of my surprise, they broke my heart in the worst possible fashion. You know, had, had they just lost the way that they were supposed to, and they got swept, like, you know, I was too stubborn enough to admit, but I kind of thought was going to inevitably happen anyway. Had they just got swept and they lost that way, I would have been... I think I would have been just fine. You know, I wouldn't have been fine, but I mean, I wouldn't have been heartbroken at least. But after the Braves went down in the series 2 to nothing, they started off game 3 on fire. Uh, you know, Ronald Acuña, he he bombs a grand slam in his second at bat, and all of a sudden the Braves are up 5 nothing in the second inning. But, you know, of course, the Dodgers eventually claw their way back in the game and they tie it up. But I'm telling you, once once Freddie Freeman hit that home run in the sixth inning, I was like, okay, this is our game. And it got way better after that because then comes in the closer, Vizcaino. He comes in the ninth inning, and by this time, the, Atlanta, the fans in the stadium at SunTrust Park, the Atlanta fans, they're going absolutely nuts. And... There are two runners on base, but the atmosphere is electric. And the fans are literally doing the tomahawk chop during every at-bat. It was fucking awesome. And, you know, one by one by one, Vizcaino is striking everybody out. And he strikes everybody out to push it to a game four. And it was awesome. And as a fan, this was one of my favorite moments ever watching baseball. To watch Vizcaino strike every batter out while the fans are screaming, doing the tomahawk chop. That was really what October baseball represents. 
And that's why a lot of people love October baseball because of that atmosphere uh, that is provided during the pl- during the playoffs. Um, so you know, even though you you know you guys you already know the inevitable result, which was the Braves losing to the Dodgers, the very next day, it was very fucking cool just to see that. But. Yeah, it absolutely broke my heart because they gave me that small glimmer of hope and I had gotten myself into this mindset that, you know, okay, we win this game, we win game four, and then we get to game five in LA. And if we get to game five, anything can happen. That game was supposed to happen today, obviously. You know, yes, the Dodgers, they have they still have their most dangerous pitching weapons left. Yes, Clayton Kershaw is a cyborg robotic killer. And yes, our bullpen is not only useless, but at this point they are just dead tired. But you get yourself into a game five riding off the heels of what just went down in Atlanta, anything can happen. But, you know, obviously that Manny Machado home run killed any chance of that happening. And here I am heartbroken and disappointed but you know what man that's that's just the nature of the beast uh that's that's what you got to deal with in sports um you've got to be able to take the lowest of the lows if you want to experience the highest of the highs and there's nothing more true in the world of sports um, than being able to do that having to be able to do that um but, you know, like as, as fun as that would have been to experience the Braves playoffs run for just a couple more weeks and as heartbreaking as it was to have amped myself up for all of that and then just have us lose, the moment in the ninth inning where Vizcaino batted, battled back from a 3-0 count, no outs, two batters on base, the crowd belting out the Tomahawk chop in unison, and then striking everybody out like that. I gotta say, it. what I experienced later was worth it. Just to have been able to experience the high that I got from experiencing that in Game 3. Um, you know, there are valuable life lessons in sports that not a lot of people talk about. But as a sports fan, you get humbled in ways... That not everybody gets to experience. And though those people who aren't big sports fans might want to criticize this. And they and they say what you're cheering for is ultimately not important because it's meaningless. They're wrong in so many ways because to us sports fans, there is meaning and substance behind our favorite teams winning that ultimate prize. So, in fact, we're actually preparing for the real world in ways that non-sports fans aren't. In fact, this makes us more able to sympathize with other people because we recognize that everything that means something to someone is important, simply because it's important to them. And we know this because everybody has always been pushing us down and saying the things that we cheer for aren't important. And... You know, those non-sports fans who brush everything aside and say, yeah, your sports issues aren't important because it doesn't impact the grand scheme of things, being life or death, 
are actually expressing signs of not being able to empathize. And that's why I think that anyone who isn't a sports fan is a sociopath. <laughs> I literally have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about anymore. Uh, I'm not a psychologist, but I would imagine that someone who may have tuned into this podcast during the middle of all that spiel that I just made, uh, I could have maybe had them potentially fooled. Probably not, but... Anyways, uh, let's talk about something that we all had our eyes on this past weekend, and that was the Conor McGregor and Habib fight, and the post-fight melee that ensued after Habib choked Conor out in a neck crank, uh, you know, where he then proceeded to jump the fan, jump the fence and attack one of Conor's teammates, um... You know, this is the annoying part about me releasing this episode so far after this has happened. You know, I, I know it's only been about four days, but in the world of sports, this is now considered old news. So, many analysts have already said their pieces on the matter, and that for me to analyze this right now, it would, it would honestly be a little bit annoying. Uh, so, I'm not going to take that every popular stance that almost every analyst has been taking where they say this riot riot has marked a black spot on the sport and on the UFC because you know what there are actually believe it or not so many positives from that disturbing scene that we saw on Saturday night during that riot that will inevitably come into fruition and there will be a lot and I mean a lot of newsworthy shit that will come from all of this in the coming weeks. But it is far from over. You know, there are so many questions left to be answered. How much will Connor be fined? Will Habib get his check from the Nevada State Athletic Commission? Because they're currently withholding paying him for the fight while they investigate. There's a 10-day investigation going on right now. And... One of the most important questions is, how long will it be before we see these guys fight each other again in that rematch? These are all things and these are all questions that will play out over the next couple of weeks. But you know what? As these storylines are all unraveled, we will always come back to this big riot that went down in the middle of that ring. And yes, I think it's going to be a long time before we see that rematch. Longer than people think. Because when you're making the kind of money that Conor McGregor is making, you don't need to fight every other month. You can sit back, heal your wounds, buy some Lamborghinis during the process, and then then you can return to the cage when you feel... Like you've fully healed yourself. And then you, you you don't even have to do anything. You can just let that fight build itself. Because when McGregor's fighting, the fight that he's in will just build itself anyway. I envision this rematch inevitably happening, but not until something like 2020. But this is the cool thing about that long wait that we have to endure. And it's, you know, it's painful... To have to wait that long. But this is the cool thing of it all. Um, 
Connor will be spending all of that time training, getting better, getting stronger, preparing for that fight versus Habib. And we've seen Connor and what he can do when he prepares for a rematch after a one-sided defeat. We saw what he did when he came back and he beat Nate Diaz six months after the loss. And the fight where he came back and he beat Nate Diaz, it was epic. It wasn't just Conor McGregor coming back and dominating him. It was Conor McGregor dealing with all of the old things that made him lose in the prior fight, you know, like his conditioning. Conor had to overcome that, and we saw him overcoming that in that fight. He, you know, he was losing rounds in, in the second Nate Diaz fight, but he inevitably overcame that that struggle to to fight while he was gassed, and then he caught a second wind, and and he won he won that five round fight versus Nate Diaz, and now. The thing about this fight versus Habib Nur Nurmagomedov, he has an even bigger mountain to climb. And he has an even bigger test that stands in front of him. He is a 27-0 animal that just jumped over a cage and attacked his team after he mauled you. Then his team jumps into the cage and attacks you. And you're telling me that the entire world wouldn't be tuned into this rematch just because of that riot that went down, you would be absolutely fucking insane to think that. Because when that rematch does happen, it will break all records of any pay-per-view sale, any ticket sale. And this might look like a black spot right now, but that's only part of the story. Because I'm telling you this, this is all positive. And not only is it going to break records, the rematch will smash records. Joining me on the show today is MMA writer Spencer Kite from Fansided. And he is also a writer for Sporting News. And he's here to discuss more about the madness that is going on in the UFC right now. Just as an update, uh, prior to this interview being made, or sorry, sorry, after this interview was made, prior to me releasing the interview, it was announced just a couple hours after I hung up the phone with Spencer Kite, it was announced just a couple hours after that Next month, that Madison Square Garden card that is happening in the UFC in New York, that Dustin Poirier has been injured and he was forced out of the flight versus Nate Diaz. So we get into that and we talk about the what ifs. If that fight doesn't come to fruition and... It's kind of funny because, you know, here we are and that fight isn't going to happen. So we actually talk about the what ifs if that fight never happened. And um, so, you know, here is the interview. Here's my interview with Spencer Kite. So joining me now on the show is Spencer Kite. Spencer is a writer from Fansided and Sporting News. 
Uh, Spencer, after everything that we saw on Saturday night and we saw a lot of things, what in particular do you want to see happen with the lightweight division? There's about three options. You know, Habib might get stripped. Uh, you know, should Connor get a rematch? Or do you think that they should try doing this uh, Tony and Habib thing again? <laughs> it's interesting because all of those are possibilities. I'm not in favor of Khabib getting stripped. I'm not in favor of, of doing an instant rematch. And in a weird way, I'm sort of gun-shy about doing Habib and Tony because we're 0 for 4 and I don't know that my heart can take it again. Mm. Um, I kind of would like to see him defend the belt. I think the, you know, depending what happens next month between Dustin Poirier and, and Mason Diaz, that's, that's definitely in there. I think there's a little bit of... I think there's going to be some hesitation from the UFC to rush into a fight with Tony Ferguson just because of how many times it has fallen apart. The last two being you know, pretty heartbreaking as opposed like it's never good when a fight falls apart, but the last two were the day before the fight and a week before the fight. And so I think there might be a little bit of hesitancy there. I would I would that's the fight I would most love to see if it if all things being equal. But I think there's probably gonna be some hesitation and so I would think the winner of the Diaz Poirier fight probably ends up being next in line as much as I'm not a huge fan of Nathan Diaz winning one fight in the lightweight division in the last three or four years and moving to the front of the line. But I'm banging on the guy that shares your last name to, to yeah. win that fight and finally get his title shot. So Absolutely, man. That's, that's where I think it goes. Um, I think you're on to something there with, the, uh, with, with that fight, but we will get to that uh, a little later on. Um, my next thing that I just wanted to ask you, because everybody has shed their opinions on this matter, which is the brawl that ensued at the end of the fight... And a lot of people have said that this shines a black spot on the sport. As a fight fan, is there anything that makes you go, you know what, at the end of the day, after the dust is settled, this entire situation actually makes for a damn good rematch? <laughs> for me, there's not, because the craziness outside of it, yes, it absolutely draws people in, and it becomes something that people can talk about. But if you go back to the fight itself, it largely wasn't competitive. Habib won, you know, got a, got a fourth-round stoppage. He dominated the first two rounds. He knocked Connor down with a surprise overhand right in the second. And even though Connor won the third, it wasn't one of those rounds where we were like, hang on now, the momentum's changing. This is different because Habib came out in the fourth and put him right back on the ground and, and wrestled the heck out of him and, and got the finish. And so as much as there is all of that drama and, Connor has come out and said he's looking forward to the rematch and we may have lost the battle, but we'll win the war or the war goes on. I need a break from it. I think the sport needs a break from it. Mm. I think the UFC should take a break from it. And if Connor still wants to keep fighting and is interested in working his way back into sort of contention or getting a couple victories before getting another title shot, then I'd be interested in it when some of this simmers down a few a year down the road or 18 months down the road. But to run it back right now solely based on, hey, things went crazy, and now we've got these two incidents that Dana White is called disgusting and horrible for the sport. Let's smash them together and make another rematch that ultimately not that many people want to see because I think people want to see it because of the craziness. But from a competitive standpoint, if you look at the fight itself, 
the hook isn't there anymore. We know how this fight plays out, and so if you're just running it back as a cash grab, you're just running it back based on drama, I would take a pass for now. What about the counter-argument that a lot of people would be making, and that is, you know, just six events after Conor lost his first fight in the UFC, which was against Nate Diaz, he actually came back and he won the rematch against Nate Diaz, which was only about five, six months after that original fight. Do you think Conor would be able to do the same thing that he did in uh, Conor vs. Nate Diaz 2 and a Conor vs. Nate, or Conor vs. Habib 2? I don't. Um, I think the first fight with with Nate is in very different circumstances than this first fight with Habib. It was short notice. He was preparing for Rafael Dos Anjos in a five-round fight at lightweight and then had about 10 days to prepare for someone with a very different style up in weight um, and just, you know, executed a poor game plan. I don't know that there's a game plan he can go out and fix in the next six months that nullifies that wrestling and that nullifies that pace and that takes away sort of the dominance we saw. Because the thing with the fight with Nate is the first round and even up until the midway point of the second where Nate cracked him and I was there and had, I remember writing it that Conor McGregor is out Diazing Nate Diaz because he was playing with him. He was throwing those kind of looping shots and talking to him and gesticulating with his arms, and then Nate caught him, and it all switched. I don't know that there's a point in the early rounds of a fight with Khabib where he doesn't get taken down and just dominated on the ground and kind of worn out. So I understand the, yeah, but it switched in the second fight with Nate, but those were very different circumstances to me and, and very different fighters. Like, as great as Nate looked in that first fight of coming back and getting that finish... He's also been a 500 fighter for the last six, eight years of his career, whereas mm. he's 27 and 0. And so I don't know if six months is going to change that. So I'm going to ask one more about this whole thing and then we can move right on. But both of these guys have been suspended by the Nevada State Athletic Commission for about 10 days and they're going to review all this stuff. Did you have a chance uh, to break down everything that happened in yourself and did, when you were breaking it down was there anything that you saw that might suggest you know Habib's going to be out for a long time or you know maybe Connor's the real um, perpetrator in this whole thing <laughs> I haven't really poured over this like the Kennedy assassination film it's, mm. just, it's a thing to me that I, I won't do it it's, I mean I think trying to assign blame and who struck first what they both were idiots in different situations uh, both are very unfortunate I think the Nevada State Athletic Commission is well within their rights to suspend each of them for a portion of time I don't think it'll be anything extravagant I don't think we're going to see Habib get an 18 month suspension or anything like that I think there'll be a big fine I think everybody will have to hand back some of their some of their fight checks, but ultimately I think we move forward because, you know, there's been a lot of stuff that's happened under the watch of the Nevada State Athletic Commission that, while it maybe wasn't as bad as this, they've been lenient to let some things go and let some people fight when maybe they shouldn't and things of that nature. And so it would feel very 
hypocritical and out of place to me for them to suddenly turn around and be like, this is where we take a stand. This mm. is the thing that we get. And the same goes for the UFC. If this becomes the thing, this becomes the hill you're dying on, it feels very strange to me. So I think we see fines for both guys. I think we see kind of nominal suspension where it's, they can't fight for six months, but they probably weren't going to anyways. And then we're back to business as usual some point early next year. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, so let, let's move forward from that um, because there is this event next month at uh, MSG and nobody really knows what's going on with that card just yet. Um, when the Diaz and Poirier fight was announced, a lot of people thought that that was going to headline. However, you know, it was announced that the vacant 125-pound women's title is going to headline the show and now, uh, I think it was yes last night it was reported that, you know, there's actually some rumors that Derek Lewis will fight Daniel Cormier in the main event. What what do you want to see? What, what, do, what do you expect from all of this? So, in terms of just the fan in me and, and just, you know, fantasy matchmaking, fantasy running the UFC, it, I mean, just make Nate Diaz and Dustin Poirier the main event. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a fight everybody wants to see. Give them the five rounds that I think we all agree is best for a fight like that. It doesn't mean that you can't still then have Valentina Shevchenko and Sajara Eubanks on the card. I think that's a good fight. I was one of the few people sort of advocating for going with contenders from within the division rather than bringing in Yoana and Jacek to fight for that title. I know I'm in the minority there. Mm. Um, but I, I always sort of feel like I want to see somebody make the weight and get a win in that division before they fight for the title in most circumstances. Um, and so I think that's the way you can go. I don't think there's any value necessarily to doing Daniel Cormier and Derek Lewis. Um, Derek just fought. He got beat up for you know, 14 minutes and 40 seconds of that fight until he landed kind of the Derek Lewis right hand that he's known for. But there were points in that fight where he was clutching at his face. I don't know if he had, you know, some kind of damage to his orbital bone or any kind of damage, what kind of suspension he's going to be under medically from, from the commission. And so rushing that back just to sort of satisfy this, this dissatisfaction with that card feels like a mistake, especially when there is that option out there of just bite the bullet and just acknowledge that you screwed this up and make Dustin Poirier and make has the main mm-hmm. Because that's what most people want to And you're right. After uh, Derek Lewis, um, you know, was getting beat, he even he even said that he's not even confident in himself in fighting uh, DC because he he didn't believe in his con- conditioning in in the match versus Volkov. So I'm not entirely sure that I'd even want to see that fight just yet. But there is another possibility, and I'm surprised that this wasn't even brought to anyone's attention. Cur- Curtis Blades is fighting at the end of November, and I'm thinking, why doesn't he just step in and fight DC on that Madison Square Garden card? I would think that the, the logic and sort of the, the reasoning is that Curtis Blades is a hell of a lot more dangerous in terms of all-around mm-hmm. readiness and preparedness for DC mm-hmm. than Derek Lewis is. Like, Derek is a guy that I absolutely love. I've gotten a chance to get to know him over these last couple of years. He's got holes in his game. We saw that on last Saturday. We've seen it before. 
DC could go out there, wrestle him to the ground, finish him in the first round. At most, it's taken two rounds. Curtis Blades is a different kind of creature. He has high-level wrestling. He is a big, strong dude with good conditioning that can go out there and probably keep the pace that DC wants to fight at and go right there with him. And so I don't know that you necessarily want to risk DC against someone as dangerous as Curtis Blades when he's got that Brock Lesnar fight sort of sitting in his back pocket. The UFC has that fight sitting in their back pocket. Whereas I think, yes, Derek Lewis presents some challenges. He presents some worries like we saw on Saturday night. You have to get through to that final horn before you can, you know, exhale and know that you've 100% got the win. But DC's a different level of competitor, I think. I think that's fair to say. And so it's a less dangerous fight. If they were going to do anything, if it was just about getting a big fight on that card, then you do the rematch. You you do Daniel Cormier against Stipe Miocic Part 2. Because, to me, if you were going to promote Stipe the way we did going into July, you can't then kick him aside and be like, back in the bus, fella. Mm. Much the way that, you know, Demetrius Johnson at Flyweight. If he set this record and he is you know, we're talking about him as the greatest of all time, then he loses a split decision. That's a guy that deserves another shot. And so, to me, if, if it was just about putting a big fight there and it was just about getting DC in the heavyweight title, then Stephen Neosic is the one that deserves it. And I know that's not a great word to use for MMA because these things are based on deserve. Right. But I think that's kind of the logic behind Derek Lewis is he's coming off, he's never been more popular, he's never been more prominent the my balls was hot mm. it really swept the nation um really become a thing that everybody loves his ig and his twitter have blown up he has way more followers now which is probably dangerous because if you've looked at either of them they are very much not suitable for work <sighs> somebody's gonna get in trouble um, but i think that's what it is let's, let's just capture this moment of Derek lewis being a thing because he's not all that dangerous overall yeah, I actually went to that uh, fight in Halifax where he said the thing about Ronda Rousey, and I think that that was that was I think what started it for me being right on uh, the Derek Lewis train because this guy this guy could be I, I don't I don't think he'll be ever be a you know Conor McGregor, but I I think this is just a guy that the UFC should uh, stand behind because I think you know he's he's a much more positive guy in that sense where he's making people laugh and not making people duck and run for cover like Conor McGregor is. Yeah, he can absolutely be a great secondary star, kind of second-tier star for them, headlining that show out in Halifax. He's headlined some others or been a part of some other big events. I know he had like one in New York, upstate New York last year as well and was a part of the show in, in Austin, Texas earlier this year. Absolute character, hilarious dude, great dude to talk to, and, and fun to watch, and that's the other part of it, right? So mm-hmm. it becomes a guy that you know people are talking about right now let's give him his opportunity but it also doesn't necessarily present as many risks as some of the other options and if none of what we just talked about transpires then the women's 125 pound flyweight title is going to be the main event of UFC 230 and between Valentina Shevchenko and Sejera Eubanks, do you think that takes away from the allure of this uh, Nate Diaz and Dustin Poirier fight? I don't think it does, and that was the weird thing to me, I guess, 
last week or 10 days ago when it came out that that was going to be the fight. Like, to see so many people say, well, now this card sucks and UFC's stupid and screw that and all of that. And it's like, wait, everything that was there beforehand that you were super excited about is still there. Mm-hmm. We're just getting another fight on top of it. And so I understand that you're not getting the main event that you wanted, but you're still getting that fight. And there's still those three terrific middleweight fights. And there's still some other really interesting stuff and interesting people on that card. And truth be told, Valentina Shevchenko versus Sajara Eubank is probably a more competitive fight in terms of the stylistic matchup than Valentina Shevchenko against Joanna Janjacic, who have fought three times in the past in Muay Thai. It's 3 nothing Sheva. Mm. I don't see, having watched the last bunch of Joanna Janjacic's career and last few fights, where she necessarily presents a whole lot of challenges to Valentina Shevchenko, who looked great, you know, both up at weight fighting against top-tier competition at bantamweight and absolutely beating the tar out of Priscilla Cachoeira. And so to me, I, w- I almost would rather see Sarge get her opportunity because she is a decorated grappler, because she has a little bit more power, because she has a little bit more pop, and there's a few more question marks. And I don't think it takes away from anything else that's on the card. It's, you could still be super excited about everything else and say, I'm not that excited about the main event. And this card still be like, suddenly Dustin Poirier and Nathan Diaz isn't a less exciting, less compelling fight. It's still terrific. Mm-hmm. You know, I just wanted to bring up one thing. And UFC is kind of in this weird spot right now because... They went down this path for a very long time where every card kind of had a backup plan in the co-main event and they were booking so many title fights each card. But now if you look at the next couple of cards, it's almost as if if the main event goes down, then the entire card goes down. So we were lucky where 229, the Connor fight didn't go down. And if, if it did go down, it was like what was going to be the main event. And I'm looking at UFC 230 and if... The Dustin Poirier Nate Diaz fight goes down. What will we have serve as that pay-per-view factor? And then I'm looking at UFC 231 uh, in Toronto and with Max Holloway and um, Brian Ortega. And if that goes down, what are we going to have? Would you agree that the UFC is kind of in this weird state right now because of all of this? or a title fight and a super great fight that they're interested in. Like, that fight in the event in Toronto, obviously, they, they pulled the shevchenko Jacek fight from there, so that would have served as the main event had that featherweight fight fallen out. But I think fans have just gotten to a point, and the UFC has put themselves there, where the expectation is so high, and there needs to be, you know, fights that a year ago or two years ago were maybe probably longer than that, four or five years ago now, were good enough to be as pay-per-view main events no longer seem to be good enough. And so, like, you look at 230, Chris Weidman, Luke Rockhold rematch was supposed to headline UFC 199 before Weidman got hurt, Michael Bisping comes in, and the world gets tilted on its axis. And so, yeah, there's no belt involved, but that's still a terrific fight. Mm. To me, for, for me personally... 
I'm still watching that pay-per-view. Now, again, I know I'm in the minority in most of these cases, but we've sort of lost that point where not having belts on the line suddenly makes a pay-per-view not as good or not good enough. The, the tricky part in there is that, you know, fans then say, well, we don't want to see all of these interim belts just thrown out just to satisfy this pay-per-view desire and, oh, there's got to be two title fights. Well, the people aren't. People don't also don't seem to be interested in just having non-title fights and just really great fights, headline pay-per-views. So, what's the UFC to do? It's sort of a, it's sort of a rock and a hard place situation of if you load up these cards like we saw in the summer, in past summers, and past even New York events where there's three title fights, that leaves you thin for the rest of the year and going forward. And so you're stuck again in that position of we don't have anything if anybody falls through. But if you don't do New York to that tenth degree where there's three title fights and something everybody's super excited in, people say it's not good enough. And so there's really no winning for losing for them. And so, but the, the tough part in all of that is I have no idea how you change that. I have no idea how you're able to get away from it. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Spencer, for joining the show today. I got, I got one more here for you. And, uh, you know, in terms of big fights... The UFC doesn't really have anything huge just yet. Um, I guess they have planned that Chris Cyborg's going to fight at the end of the year, but that's I don't I don't think that is the big fight that everyone's looking for. But there are rumors that a Gustafsson and Jones rematch will be booked on that same card. Does that get you excited? And do you think it ever actually even comes to fruition, or do you think John Jones will find some way to screw this up? <laughs> I, it does get me excited. Uh, I do think it will come to fruition. I think it would be, I mean, I won't put anything past John Jones, but it'd be kind of hard to, to really screw this up between now and the end of December. I am going to disagree, though. I think the Max Holloway Brian Ortega fight is a fight that people don't necessarily understand how great that fight is and mm-hmm. how big that fight has the potential to be. I don't think, obviously, it's not going to be like this past weekend, which is. Know, trending towards 2.3, 2.4, 2.5 million buys. I don't even know that it does 500,000 buys, but it is wow. one of the handful of best fights the UFC could put on right now. I mean, Max Holloway, 12-fight winning streak, Brian Ortega, undefeated, coming off finishing Frankie Edgar in the first round, looking like this is two dudes at the apex needing for a belt. Like, what more do we... And this sort of goes to what we talked about just before this. What more do we need than that? That <laughs> used to be right. enough of a hook. And now we're like, well, it's not that great. It is. Yeah. I mean, for me, it, it doesn't get much better than that. Like, It, for me, is off par with Habib and, and Connor. Not necessarily a name value, but in terms of what these guys bring to the cage and what we've seen of them, it's right up there. Same with the Cyborg Amanda Nunes fight. Like, I can't wait for that to happen. Because if anybody's going to challenge... I think it's somebody like Amanda Nunes who used to fight at featherweight, who has that power, who has shown improvement over the last two years, that maybe she is the one to test her. And so I think there are some big ones. I do think they get that Jones Gustafson fight book. I think that does draw a lot of people in because John, much like Conor McGregor, is one of those few names that everybody gravitates to and he's got that pull to him. So I think the year will end with a pretty good show. I hope so too, Spencer. And uh, you know what? Thanks a lot, man, for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Appreciate you having me. 
So there you have it. That was MMA reporter Spencer Kite. And uh, yeah, as you heard there, we talked about the importance of this fight between Nate Diaz and Dustin Poirier. And lo and behold, I think it was just five hours after that interview, it's announced that Dustin Poirier has been injured and is off the card. So, you know, what's what's going to happen with that Madison Square Garden card? Who knows, man? It, uh, it sucks, but that's it's the nature of the business. And... Uh, you know, obviously now this UFC 230 card will not be how the UFC planned it. Um, sucks. And, uh, you know, if if that Derek Lewis fight does does happen, then that would be great. But, um, yeah, also, I was listening back to, to this... Um, the start of this podcast and I've noticed that there's this loud buzzing and I think that's just the fan from my computer you know there's nothing I can do about that guys nothing I can do about that sound uh if you guys made it this far and haven't noticed or if you're sticking through it then thank you um I don't know what else to do man other than getting a new computer but uh it's not the end of the world there's a lot to be thankful for and speaking of things to be thankful for, um, this past week was Canadian Thanksgiving. And you know what? I have a bone to pick with anybody who watches themed Thanksgiving shows during our Thanksgiving. You know? For instance, I saw that a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving was on TV. And you know what? I just find it strange to watch that. Because that's for American Thanksgiving, not for us. And the best analogy that I was able to come up with is if a girl sends you her nudes from an album that she has already had in her phone, you know, they could be great pictures and all, and you can enjoy them, but you know what? They weren't made for you. Uh, she had originally taken them for somebody else. <laughs> you know what? Those two things are the same thing. If you watch the Charlie Brown uh, Thanksgiving, and, um, you know, it's not for your Thanksgiving. But, uh, you know, I, I love Thanksgiving, though, you know? Uh, I love the turkey meal. Didn't have turkey this year. I had a chicken roast, but... Uh, as long as you have the stuffing and the potatoes, follow that up with some pumpkin pie, then you're set. There's nothing else you need on Thanksgiving. Um, so, you know, there's this tradition during Thanksgiving, and oftentimes families will go around the table and they will say what they're thankful for. And... This is a holiday where we cherish what we do have and we don't fret over the things that we don't have. You know, for instance, I'm happy I have this computer, okay? You know that you guys can hear how old and rusty the fan is in the computer. I am thankful for the fact that I simply do have a computer. Um, so... You know, that same tradition where you go around the table and you announce the things that you are thankful for. I've decided 
to come up with a list of things that I'm thankful for this year in the world of sports. So, without further ado, cue the Thanksgiving-themed music. Alright, starting this off, I am thankful that we got to see Alexander Ovechkin finally hoist a Stanley Cup. You know, in a year of sports where we see guys like Kevin Durant win another NBA final, it's special to see a guy who actually stuck with it, stayed true to his original team, and to the city that drafted him, and bring them home a Stanley Cup after many, many years of trying to do so. I am thankful that we finally got to see Conor McGregor return to the UFC. A lot of people, including myself, pondered the idea of McGregor never returning to the UFC again. After all the money that he had made in the boxing match with Floyd Mayweather, and his final match in the UFC solidifying himself as a two-weight world champion, it would make sense that Conor would ride off into the sunset and be this multi-multi-millionaire. But you know what? Further to that, we actually saw him in a UFC octagon again. And it happened the way that it was planned. Nobody was injured leading up to the fight, which is what you usually do when you have a fight of this magnitude. At least something goes wrong, and nothing went wrong. Uh, of course, there was something that went wrong after the fight, but all that matters is that we got to see that fight, and we got to see how it all played out. Um, and you know what? We're going to see Conor fight again. And because you know right now that he's, he's already training for that rematch. I am thankful that we saw England lose in the World Cup. And they never even made it to the finals. Proving that you can't start an it's coming home war chant and have it be your thing. And the thing you say throughout an entire tournament before you even make it to the finals of the thing that you're participating in in the first place. So when Croatia finally shut up all of the England fans, it was like music to my ears. I am thankful that the Leafs were favored to win the Stanley Cup this year. Proving that not only is the most Toronto Maple Leaf thing you could ever do is predict that you're going to win the Stanley Cup before you ever compete in a game, declaring they will break their 50-year winless curse when they've probably, you know, this probably is the best team they've had in those 50 years. But now, they have also jinxed their chances because all their fans talk about how they're not only favored to win, but they're the best team in the NHL. So when they inevitably lose and I get to watch all of their fans cry and make up another excuse about their overrated team, I can also laugh and use that to help me get sleep at night. And finally, I am thankful for the sports video streaming services, like DAZN, which is a streaming service that offers various sports and has actually gotten really good since the beginning of the year. It's only 20 bucks a month, 
and it's well worth it for the services they provide. Which is every NFL game, different MLB games throughout the summer, different PGA tournaments throughout the year, every UEFA Championship game, boxing pay-per-views, Bellator pay-per-views, tons of other random sports things. And because DAZN has gotten so good, I think it won't be very long until we see other competitors rise up and offer more video streaming services that are just as good. Uh, you know, similar with Netflix. Once it took over the movie streaming service game, we saw other companies rise up in the industry like Amazon, Hulu, Crave TV. And that was a good thing because you're not supposed to monopolize services. So more competition means that the product will only get better and better. So there is my list of things that I am thankful for in the world of sports. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in today. This has been very fun. Uh, I enjoyed talking to UFC with you guys today. Uh, thank you to Spencer Kite for joining the show. I enjoyed making my list of things that I'm thankful for. And um, yeah, guys, that just about does it for the show today. And uh, hey, remember, the Leafs always have and always will suck donkey balls. So if you're not a Leafs fan, be thankful for that. Thanks for listening, everybody. Peace.